Good, good morning, Lake Hills Church. What a day to be alive in Austin, Texas. And if I can, just real quickly, what an amazing message we heard last weekend for Mother's Day, not only for the moms, but for all of us. If, if you haven't watched or caught last week's message by my bride, Julie Richard, let me encourage you to go back and watch it after this one, if you don't mind. But go back and look at it. I hope that we never, ever, ever get used to or just complacent about the fact that God allows her to speak into the life of our church. She is a truly remarkable gift to our church and to this pastor for different reasons that we won't go into right now. But this weekend, we are wrapping up the series that we've been in for the last few weeks called Business as Unusual. As we've been kind of working to use this time of, of quarantine and sheltering in place to, to develop a picture, to, to see what it is that we've learned, what it is that we've experienced during this time that we can build on after the quarantine. And I'm so excited about what God has built into our church during this season. I, I was thinking about all of the things that are now somewhat normal to us, the things that we've kind of gotten used to, words that three months ago we may have never even considered or even thought about, now are just part of our everyday, everyday vocabulary. Things like droplet transmission, quarantine, shelter in place, uh, PPE, PPP, on and on and on. All of these terms that we had never even thought about now are a part of our everyday lives. You know, there's one term that, that we've heard a lot over the last few weeks that I don't know why, but every time I hear it, it makes me laugh a little bit. I think it's kind of funny. And that's the term herd immunity, herd immunity. Now, the reason I think that's funny is I, I know that this is something they've done with horses for years, but this is now the goal of the globe that we would reach herd immunity against coronavirus. I, I think it's important to understand what herd immunity really means. The Johns Hopkins School of Public Health says that herd immunity is achieved when 70 to 80% of a given population achieves immunity against an infectious disease. This is what we have already against things like mumps and measles, polio and smallpox and all those kind of things. But now we are globally united trying to achieve this against the coronavirus. And it's, it's going to require literally everyone on the planet, everybody from governments at the national, state, and local level working in concert with each other and governments around the world, to scientists, to frontline medical workers, all the way out to the individuals like you and me who will practice the protocols that allow us to achieve herd immunity. Herd immunity, I just think that's kind of a funny term. But you know, herd immunity is not something that is limited to biology or science or, or people. No, herd immunity is something that has been around for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, for millennia, God has been inviting people like you, people like me, into a very real, into a very radical community, a radical connectedness of empathy and harmony 
where we experience relationship and community with each other in a way that is so far and above anything that we could ask or imagine. The Bible tells us that, that God achieves this not by suppressing our individuality or, or diminishing our personal uniqueness and distinctives, but rather as only God can do through the power of the Holy Spirit, he, he marvelously, marvelously mitigates our differences and miraculously integrates our strengths and our weaknesses with each other in order to achieve this, this radical community, this connectedness, this harmony as we come together. I, I think instead of herd immunity, what the Bible talks about could more accurately be labeled as this, herd in unity, that, that we are united by the cross, we're united in Jesus Christ in a way that nothing else accomplishes. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to look in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number one. 1 Corinthians chapter number one, the apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is, is writing to the church in Corinth and he starts this first letter to the Corinthians by talking about the desire of God for us to experience this herd in unity idea. Now, before I read the passage that I'm gonna to get to in just a second, I wanna give you just a little bit of background. As you know, Paul is writing to a church that is there in the ancient city of Corinth. Corinth was a, was a center of trade, a crossroads. It was a port city. It was a city of great influence. And I always think it's funny when, when people in our day and age say, man, I just want a New Testament church. I just want to be a part of a New Testament, which I understand the heart behind it and I think is good, but be careful what you ask for because the church in Corinth was going through some crazy, crazy times. Part of what they were going through was learning this idea of community, this herd and unity that God has called us to, and they were struggling with it. As a matter of fact, the letter of 1 Corinthians is Paul's attempt to bring some unity into a very divided community. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. This is, this is the Apostle Paul under the authority of the Holy Spirit writing to the church at Corinth. He says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters. So he's, he's, not, he's not hammering them. He's, he's coming to them as a family member. He says, I appeal to you, my dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. What an amazing calling. But real quickly, I wanna, I wanna read a couple of verses after that because I think it's, it gives some important context that actually will help us in our understanding and our application of this. Look at verse 11. He says, now some members of Chloe's household, so he knew them personally. He said, some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Look at verse 12. Some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. Isn't that amazing? Even within 30 years 
of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection, the church was already having this kind of factional infighting that, that families do. You know, I, I grew up with, with two brothers. My brothers, Pat and Gil, they're twins, two and a half years younger than I am. And man, I, I, was, I was never really a fighter as a kid growing up. But I remember one day in particular in our front yard, we were playing front yard football. The driveways were the end zones. And there was a guy from down the street who is a really good guy that we've gotten to be friends with since then. But I'll never forget, in this particular game, tensions got a little heated. And I'll never forget, the guy's name was Doug. He just hauled off and hit my little brother, Pat. And something inside of me is the big brother. Now, keep in mind, my brothers and I, we fought like cats and dogs. I mean, sometimes physically. But when he went after my little brother, Pat, I just snapped. I mean, I, I lost it. I think we all understand the dynamic of you can say a lot of things and we can say a lot of things about our individual family members, but if someone from the outside comes in, woe unto them. But when it's family, man, those are the people that you're, you're closest to. We'll, we'll, we'll fight to the death against an outsider, but inside sometimes we'll kind of get there too. I know a lot of us during quarantine, man, it's, it's been high pressure in a lot of households because those are the people closest to us. And when the pressure mounts, it's the people closest to us that experience the blow up most. This is what Paul is talking about in the church. He's saying, I want you to be so united, one mind, one purpose, because of Christ. And I love the word that he used there, harmony. He used the word harmony. Here's the interesting thing about harmony. Now, I'm not a great musician at all. I love music. I sing at the top of my lungs when I'm driving down the road in my truck. But I have trouble harmonizing. My wife, Julie, can harmonize. My kids, Emily and Joe, can all harmonize. It's actually kind of annoying. I cannot find harmony. I can find the melody easy. Doesn't mean I can always hit it, but I can find it. But my family can harmonize. They go the high, they go the low. It doesn't matter. It's, it's amazing. And I just sit there and go, wouldn't that be nice? But harmony, by definition, means that you're singing different notes that blend together. Different notes that blend together. That's the picture that Paul is painting here in 1 Corinthians. That in the church, your strengths complement my weaknesses. My strengths complement your weaknesses. And God miraculously merges those two things to accomplish his purposes in this world. I, I wanna give you a working definition of herd in unity. Something that we can cling to, not only during COVID-19, but on the other side as well, as we think about the church and what we're gonna be, who we're gonna be, what we're gonna do as we come out of this together. Here is spiritual herd in unity. It is when Christians, those of us who follow Christ, extend extravagant grace sufficient to stop the spread of divisiveness. It is when Christians extend extravagant grace sufficient to stop the spread of divisiveness. That is herd 
in unity. And the way that we do that, Paul gave us right here in this passage of scripture. He said, I want you to be of one mind, one mind. Now, what does it mean to be of one mind? That doesn't mean that we always agree. That doesn't mean that that I think everything you say is right or you think everything I say is right, necessarily. But it means that we are of one mind. Here's what it means. It means that we are laser focused on and driven by the grace of God. It means that we are laser focused on and driven by the grace of God. That we stop and and remember the grace that we have been given by God. When you understand that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection accomplished for you and accomplished for me the forgiveness of our sin, that, that when a person chooses to follow Christ and receive that grace into their lives, then God says, I will remember their sin no more. I will remove it from you as far as the east is from the west. That, when you stop and just focus on that, you can't help but be moved by that. You can't help but be driven by that. And when you understand that you've received that, that should drive us to extend it to other people as well. Man, I, I, I don't have everything figured out. You don't have everything figured out. But we know the one who does. And when we understand what God has given us in this amazing grace, I think it's important to understand what grace is from Scripture. Turn over to Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. Here's what the Bible says. God saved you by his grace when you believed, when you chose to follow Christ. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done so that no one can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Grace. Grace is simply this. It is undeserved favor or kindness. Undeserved. So if you have received the grace of Christ, if you have chosen to follow Christ, you have been forgiven of every sin and you did nothing to deserve it. You you can't earn the amazing grace, the favor of God. And so for us to be of one mind means that we're focused on that grace and we're driven by that grace. We, We get up in the morning because of the grace of God. We keep going when we're tired because of the grace of God. We keep loving even though somebody may not be particularly lovable because of the grace of God. That's our, that's our mindset. That's what drives us. Be of one mind. He also says to be united in thought. United in thought. Here's the thought that unites us. Because of the grace of God, united in thought means, can you believe we get to be a part of this? Can you believe 
that we get to be a part of this. Look at what it said there in Ephesians chapter two. You are God's workmanship. God's workmanship. To, that he has made new in Christ Jesus to do the things that he's already lined up for us to do. Of, of one mind, one thought, can you believe we get to be a part of this? Can you believe it? I remember years ago when the Dallas Cowboys opened that massive new stadium in Arlington and we gave our son Joe tickets to go to a game in Cowboys Stadium for Christmas. Now, it just so happened that the game we ended up going to was against the Philadelphia Eagles to get the Cowboys into the playoffs that particular year. Needless to say, Cowboys lost and they didn't make the playoffs, but that's a whole other sermon series. I will never forget walking into that stadium. It was a phenomenal experience. We got there early before the massive doors were even open. We, we saw these huge 40-foot doors open up and we're one of the first people to walk into the stadium. The, the crew was unbelievable. They were, welcome to Cowboys Stadium. Can I help you find something? Where are your seats? And they were unbelievably attentive. And then there's that, that massive screen that, that hangs over the field. It's unbelievable. And I just remember sitting there next to my boy. I think Joe was maybe in middle school at the time. And I remember just sitting there going, I can't believe we get to do this together. This is, this is a lifetime memory for me. I hope he remembers it, but I know I will never forget sharing that with him. As the body of Christ, can you believe we get to be a part of this? That, that even during COVID-19, through technology, we've been able to stay connected. We've been able to stay united, even though we're not in the same room together. Can you believe we get to be a part of this? Can you believe that because you have continued to stay connected, that you've continued to pray for and through your church, that you've continued to give financially, that you've continued to invite people and share clicks and invite people to worship, that through you, other people have experienced the amazing grace of God during this season? We've seen so many people accept Christ and alter their eternity during this time because of you. Can you believe we get to be a part of this? This is, this is that, that thought that drives us. He says also to be of one mind, united in thought, but also united in purpose. United in purpose. Now, if you've been around Lake Hills Church for 15 minutes or more, you know that our purpose is pretty much etched in stone. The reason we exist is to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. That's why we're here. That, that's, that's what this is all about. It, it's, it's exactly what Jesus spoke to immediately before returning to heaven from his earthly ministry. You'll remember he was, he was crucified, buried in the ground, rose on the third day, and then was alive for 40 more days after that appearing to over 500 eyewitnesses. But at the end of that time, he returned to heaven. And when he returned to heaven, he left commissioning us. 
As a matter of fact, that's how it's referred to biblically is the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus commands, he commissions those who follow him to go, to go. This is our purpose. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, that's our purpose. Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything he's commanded us to do and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But look at how he ended. This, this is the heart of Jesus. He said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You wanna talk about a radical herd in unity? When you know that Jesus Christ is with us no matter what, you know that we are united. We are of one mind, one thought, one purpose, that we are moving his purposes forward. Now, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is reminding the church of that. He's calling them into that. He says, listen, I've heard about the quarrels and the arguments that you're having. He said, we are called to something bigger. We are called to live on a higher plane because of Christ. He said, some of you are arguing like, well, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos. Well, I follow Peter. And then he even says, there's some of you who go, well, I follow only Jesus. Even in the first church, first century church, there were people kind of hyper-spiritualizing. Paul said, listen, stop it. We are united. We are this radical community of connectedness. Don't ever forget it. Now, I don't know where you are today. Probably a, a lot of us have made that commitment to follow Christ, to be a part of this community, this connected body. But I would imagine too, there's a good number of us who maybe haven't made that commitment yet. And as a church, as a family of faith, we wanna give you the opportunity to do that, to take that first fledgling step of faith and decide to follow Christ personally, definitively. It's not religion. It's not about what your parents did. This is about you and God. I wanna ask everyone watching this, if you will just bow your heads with me. Let's, let's go to God in prayer together. And if you are one of those who has chosen to follow Christ already, I wanna invite you to pray with me and pray with everything you have for everyone else watching this. And if you maybe haven't chosen to follow Christ, why not right now? Just right where you are, right where you're watching in a spirit of prayer, talk to God from your heart to His. You can, you can silently 
voice a prayer. Something like this, just, just say, Jesus, I need you. And in this moment, I choose to follow you. Jesus, I need, I want your grace. I understand I don't deserve it, but I also understand it's available. And so right here, right now, with you, I accept. I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me. I choose to believe that you rose again for me with the promise of a new life. And I accept. And I will follow you from this moment forward. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if that was your prayer in this moment, this is the biggest moment of your life. And as a church, though we're not gathered in the same room together, we celebrate that with you. We honor that. However you're watching this, there's a link to connect. There's a thing called the connect card. And right now we're doing these things only digitally, but it's an opportunity for you to connect into the family so that we can help with what's next because this is just the beginning. We're so excited for you. We're excited with you. And I pray that you will fill that card out. Let us know that you made that commitment to follow Christ so that we can help with what's next. In the meantime, please know that Julie and I love you. We are praying for the entire church family. I hope you have a great, great week. And I can't wait to worship with you again next week. God bless you.